Open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. I'm thankful for all of our dads today. I want to speak to you on the subject, the man that God tells us to look for. The man that God tells us to look for. But I saw this earlier. A little boy comes to his dad and he says, Dad, are bugs good to eat? His father said, Let's not talk about such things at the dinner table, son. After dinner, the dad looks at his son and says, Now, son, what did you want to ask me? He said, Oh, nothing. There was a bug in your suit, but it's gone now. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> it is so funny, the stuff that as a dad you can get into with your kids. And, you know, we could just tell stories like that all over. Uh, I remember I was sitting one time watching TV. I had a pair of shorts on. And Jacob walks up and he looks at me. He comes up and he kind of rubbed my arm. He was two. He said, Dad, will I have fur like you when I grow up? <laughs> oh, man. Kids are fun. And honestly, with all the trouble they give you, it's still fun being a dad. Would you guys say amen to that? Amen. Man, it's just, it's wonderful to watch your kids grow up, have a desire to serve the Lord, to watch them accomplish things that, that you can't. We were... Laura helped Jacob clean his room this past week, and it took about 24 hours. But they rearranged it, so I came home from the meeting I was speaking at, and uh, so they wanted to show me the room. So all of us were up in Jacob's room, and they have a keyboard in there. And so Lydia was playing the piano, and Jacob was playing the piano and showing us stuff that they've learned. And It was so fun for me to watch what my kids can do because I can't play chopsticks on the piano. I don't understand any of it. And it's so wonderful. How many of you just love to see your kids pass you in something? I mean, it's, that's, that's our goal. Our, our desire is to have our children do better than we have. Um, how are we going to do that? Well, you know, someone said that if you, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. Right? We need to have a target for ourselves we as men, we need, to, we need to have some standards that we are seeking to attain or, or a goal that we're trying to reach so that our kids can see us striving to better ourselves and so that they have something to shoot for. I was talking in our Sunday school class this morning about, you know, I pray and I wonder about the kind of spouse my kids will marry. You know, Lydia, you know, when she's 35 and I let her get married, I wonder what kind of man she's going to marry. And one of the things that I want to do is I want to be the kind of man that she says, I want to marry a guy like my dad, instead of saying, I'll never marry someone like my father. I want Jacob to be able to say, I want, my, I want to marry someone like my mom, instead of saying, I never want to see someone like my mom. And now, I don't know that anyone ever sets out to destroy their children's lives, right? I don't think any of us, that's our goal. But I think that we need to, to look at a biblical standard and that will that'll just help us guys to know what we're supposed to be doing. Um, so let's look at this. Acts chapter 6, look at verse 1. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, 
There arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God to serve ta- and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Let's look at that verse 3 again. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Lord, help us as we study your word this morning. Lord, I think all of us desire to be the kind of man that is described in verse 3, the kind of man that you tell the church to look for. So, Father, help us to look at some of these details this morning and compare your word your words in your Bible, so that we can understand the kind of men that we are supposed to be. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you remember when you're at school or at the gym and you're picking up teams? Was anyone here ever the last one taken? Who will admit to that? I kind of lived there. You know, I remember what it was like, man. They're dividing up the teams. They're saying, and here's what's going on. You know, you're standing there being cool. In your mind, you're saying, pick me, pick me, pick me. (laughs) Well, here in the Bible, there are some men that the Bible tells us to pick for our team. And there are some qualifications that are given right here. And notice the first one. Look at verse 3. Look, wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report. Of honest report. What is that talking about? That's talking about having a good reputation. So guys, what's the first characteristic that we ought to strive for? So young men, man, it's much easier for you guys to begin establishing these things than to wait until you're 50 and try to do them. So here's the first thing. I want to have a good reputation. And we as men of God need to have a good reputation, don't we? And all the men said... Amen. A reputation is a very important thing. Look at Deuteronomy. We're going to come back to Acts 6, so don't lose that. But let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Look at verse 13. So remember what's going on, the, the, I almost said the Apostle Moses. Moses is bringing the children of Israel into, out of the land, or out of, out of Egypt. They're going to the promised land, and God is giving Moses instruction. Now look at what it says here. Take you wise men and understanding, and known among your tribes, and I will make them rulers over you. So what is... What does God tell them all to do all the way back here in the book of Deuteronomy? The same thing as in Acts 6. They've got to be wise. They've got to have understanding and known among your tribes. So if, let me tell you the men that God uses. The man that God tells us to seek for, to look for, to seek after for ministry. Wise men. And men who have a good reputation. A good reputation. Did you know you can't buy a good reputation? You've got to earn it. You've got to earn it. That good reputation. Look at Proverbs chapter 22. 
You know what I love? As I meet people and they tell me where they work, I always try to make a connection with our church so maybe they'll come. And I'll say, do you know so-and-so? So if I met somebody from Honda, uh, and I, I might say, do you know Gordon Allstetter? Gordon Allstetter works at Honda. I enjoy being able to use someone like Gordon Allstetter, someone like Ed Bermond, and really all of our guys here, uh, Doug, all of our guys here that work at Honda. You're good men. I, I've never had where I've mentioned one of our men to someone who works at Honda. I've never had somebody say, well, man, that guy's a loser. Here's what they say. He's a good worker. He's a good guy. He's a good man. That, that's a good reputation, isn't it? Look what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor rather than silver and gold. Uh, I can't remember who it was. It was a politician who had been smeared in the newspaper, he had been cleared. And, you know, the accusation is always on page 1, and the, the clearing of them is always on page 23. And he said, how am I going to get my good name back? How am I ever going to get my good name back? Once it's gone, that's what people think of. You know, it's interesting. Most of the time, if you said David, you could say David and Goliath, or you could say David and Bathsheba. And honestly, I don't know which one people would choose first. If you said, finish this statement, David and, some people would say Goliath, some people would say Bathsheba. Why? Because he hurt his reputation. Isn't that right? We must protect it. Your reputation, young men, let me tell you this. Your reputation, once it's gone, it's very hard to get it back. Now, aren't you glad that we have a God of second chances? If you've messed up, don't continue messing up. Get it right. But wouldn't it be better never to have messed up in the first place? Keep your reputation. Work to preserve your good name of honest report. Look at uh, Ecclesiastes. Just the next book, Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Look at verse 1. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of one's death than the day of one's birth. Now, why? what does the day you die have to do with your good name? Well, everybody has a good name when they're born. You know, have you ever had, you know, a baby's born. I've never had somebody say, oh, look, she's so ugly. No, every baby's beautiful, Right? Every baby's beautiful. What did Bill Cosby say that time? He said, I, had a, I went and I saw my baby and I, I had a beautiful baby lizard. <laughs> but it is true. Every baby is precious and full of potential. Isn't that right? Every baby is precious and full of potential. But potential, um, uh, uh, there's a, a coach said, son, your potential is going to get me fired. Because he had a pair, player full of potential that was never reached. So you young people, you've got lots of potential, all kinds of potential. So right now you are building your name. All of us as men, we are still building our name. So I'm 50 years old. Let's say that I'd messed up up to the time that I'm 50. Well, Lord willing, I'm going to live another 30 years. I have 30 years to get a good name. 
Isn't that right? A good name, men of honest report. Do you know that God can take the worst man and make him the best man? How about the Apostle Paul? Was there anybody worse than the Apostle Paul? He was killing Christians. He was murdering Christians. And yet, that's not what we think of when we think of the Apostle Paul. When we think of the Apostle Paul, we think of probably the greatest Christian to ever live. What a wonderful thing that your good name isn't finished until you're dead. What does that mean? Look, you might be 70 years old in this room. You still have time to mess up your name. Right? I think of J. Frank Norris. J. Frank Norris was the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Fort Worth, Texas. He was an amazing man. He was a counselor to presidents. He started, he, he, he went to Detroit, Michigan and preached a revival in Detroit, Michigan. And at the end of that meeting, there were something like 900 people ready to start a church. It was about a three-month revival. And so he started the Temple Baptist Church in Detroit, Michigan. That's the church that started this church. Pastor Hovestrike came out of Temple Baptist Church in Detroit to start Grace Baptist Church. J. Frank Norris pastored Temple Baptist in Detroit and First Baptist in Fort Worth at the same time in the 1920s. He'd take a train back and forth. He was an amazing man, but he probably lived 10 years too long. The last 10 years of his life, he became a mean, cantankerous, bitter preacher. And so for a lot of people, they discount all of those years of greatness and only focus on the time at the end when he was crazy. You know what our message ought to be? Let's be godly all the way to the end. Let's have charity all the way to the end. Let's live the fruit of the Spirit all the way to the end. Why? Because your good name's not done until your death. And that's why the wisest man to ever live, God had him write down that the day of death is better than the day of your birth. Wow. So, first thing is of honest report. Second is full of the Holy Ghost. That's what it says back in our text. Full of the Holy Ghost. Before we go there, I want to just tell you the story of a man who was full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom and of good report. Remember what happened. Here in America, it was against the law to be a Baptist. It was against the law to be a Quaker. Mary Dyer was a Quaker uh, who was hung by the neck in Massachusetts. They killed her because she was a Quaker. Who did that? The, the Puritans. The government of Massachusetts killed her because she was a Quaker. It was against the law to be anything other than what the established church was. So a group of people started with Roger Williams he went over and he bought the area that became Rhode Island in 1635. In 1637, John Clark came from England and went to Massachusetts. And he was immediately run out and took a group of people to Rhode Island, I mean to, uh, to New Hampshire. It was too cold in New Hampshire, so they went south to Rhode Island where it was warm. But they started Newport, Rhode Island. And that was the first place where religious liberty was allowed. Well, what was happening was Connecticut under Thomas Hooker and Massachusetts, they were trying to take the land from Rhode Island. And so John Clark and Roger Williams went over to England to get a new royal charter. 
And so they already had a charter to own the land, but they needed a new royal charter. Well, the problem was Charles II had been beheaded. And Oliver Cromwell, with the glorious revolution, was now Lord Protector of England. And Cromwell was, a, was the kind of Protestant that would kill you very quickly. The, the savagery that Cromwell perpetrated in Ireland and Scotland, it's unbelievable. So, after 14 years, when the restoration of the monarchy took place under Charles II, people were really leery about what was going on. So in the meantime, John Clark has stayed in England trying to get this charter for 12 years. So finally, he gets this charter from Charles II in 1663, and it's the Rhode Island Charter. If you go to, to Rhode Island, go to the capital in Providence, you can see it. They keep it in a vault. You can see this Rhode Island Charter that was given by Charles II to John Clark, the Baptist preacher. And it's the first document granting religious liberty in the history of the world. It's an amazing thing. Parliament questioned whether or not Charles II even had the power to grant that kind of religious liberty. You can believe whatever you want or believe in nothing. How did John Clark get that charter? Well, there's a Baptist preacher named William Kiffin. William Kiffin was saved in England. He was a member of a church that was on the east side of London, and the pastor was a guy named Spillsbury. So he gets saved. He separates from the Spillsbury church over baptism. They wouldn't, uh, that church would allow anybody to preach in the pulpit, and Kiffin believed that a person ought to be scripturally baptized. And so he went to Devonshire Square and started a church. But he's poor. He's broke. But he had a good mind, and he was a hard worker. So he started importing wool from Holland, and listen to this. The Baptist preacher, William Kiffin, became one of the wealthiest men in England. Well, here Charles II becomes king. And he's going through money like a drunk sailor. So he comes to the Baptist preacher, William Kiffin, and he says, Mr. Kiffin, I'd like to borrow 40,000 pounds. Now, what is that? That's 40,000 pounds of silver. What would that be, 30, 40 million dollars today? An amazing amount of money. And Kiffin, who was wise, he said, Oh, Your Honor, I could never make a loan to you, but if you'll allow me, I'd like to make you a gift of 10,000 pounds. And he took it. And when Kiffin was asked about it later, he said, Well, I saved 30,000 pounds. Because he knew the king was never going to give it back to him, right? So here's what happened. Charles II now has a relationship with the Baptist preacher, William Kiffin. Here's how, here, that one of the main reasons that it was hard for people to believe that Charles II had given John Clark this religious liberty in the Rhode Island Charter, because remember, it was the Protestants that had beheaded Charles' father, Charles I. And so now here's Charles II giving religious liberty to this Baptist preacher, John Clark. How in the world did that happen? Well, when John Clark went back to England, guess whose church he became a member of? William Kiffin. So here, we end up with religious liberty in Rhode Island because a Baptist preacher in England had a good report. He was honest. He had wisdom.
How many of you think it's important for a man of God to have a good report? A good name. A good name. It is so important. I don't want to drag this out, but don't forget, there in Newport, Rhode Island, where John Clark established liberty, when the Jews were being persecuted all over the world, they're being killed everywhere, in pogroms in Europe, in pogroms in South America. These, these, the Jews, they heard that there was freedom in New York. So they go to New Amsterdam and Paul Stuyvesant, the head there, he says, have that detestable people removed. So they had to leave New York. They didn't have any place to go. They'd heard that maybe there was some freedom in this place called Rhode Island. So they go there. In the early 1700s, they build the first synagogue in the United States, the Toro Synagogue. It had a trap door under the platform because they didn't believe they had liberty. And now out of that, Genesis 12, 3, I'll bless them that bless thee and curse them that curseth thee. In Rhode Island, they become immensely wealthy. Their trade is going great. Then religious liberty is granted in America. It began in Rhode Island. And God made us the most wealthy nation in the history of the world because of our love and protection of the Jewish people. What does all that trace back to? A preacher that had a good name. You understand that that can happen again where God needs one man to have a good name. One man to have a good reputation. And that might be you. So, of honest report. Of honest report. Then, full of the Holy Ghost. Go to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. Full of the Holy Ghost. Jesus, while He was here on earth talking with His disciples, is telling them that the Holy Ghost is going to come. And look at verse 7. John 16 and verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. So what's the Holy Spirit going to do when he comes? And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye see me no more, of judgment because the Prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he... The Spirit of truth has come. He will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine, and shall show it unto you. What happens when you're full of the Holy Ghost? This is why we need men who have a good reputation and they're full of the Holy Ghost. When they're full of the Holy Ghost, they know what the truth is. And what does the truth do? You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. If we want to have a free people, we need men who have a good reputation and who have the Holy Spirit in them because when you have the Holy Spirit in them, then you understand truth. You understand righteousness. You're able to judge what's right and what's wrong. I... I'm noticing as I'm watching this surveillance issue that's going on with the NSA. A person's position or a politician's position on that is based on who's the president. So if George Bush is the president, the Republicans think it's okay for the government to surveil you. If, and the Democrats don't like it. If President Obama, who's a Democrat, is the president, he's doing it, then the Republicans don't like it and the Democrats do. Look, it's either right or it's wrong. 
See, and so what we need is we need men who it doesn't matter what church they belong to, what club they're in. Uh, it doesn't matter what political party they associate with. It doesn't matter what nation they're a citizen of. You know, God's not an American, right? He's God of the whole world. He's God. And God wants America to have citizens who are godly men, regardless of political party or affiliation. We need people who make decisions based on truth, not on politics. Politics is destroying us, people. Let me just do a little rabbit trail here for just a minute. The churches, Christians, were bought by the religious right. And all of a sudden, being a Republican was the same thing as being a Christian. We cannot think that way. Because if Christians stop taking a stand and identifying the error in both parties, who will ever be able to tell the truth? And see, that's what the Holy Spirit does. When we're full of the Holy Ghost... Um, is Ed in here? Ed, come up here for a minute. So Ed is our church treasurer. He's the, the chairman of the deacons, okay? And do you like me? I should have asked that before the service started. Okay. Except when you call me up. Yeah, except for when I... Yeah, he loves being in front and talking to people. Why don't you just tell everyone something? No. Um, so Ed, he likes me. We're friends. But he also has a responsibility as treasurer. So imagine I'm spending the money poorly. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. And Ed says, well, I like him, so I'm not going to worry about that. How many of you would have a problem with that? Yeah. Yeah. Abs and I hope that you would have a problem with that. And that's why God has accountability as a part of his plan. Right? So this is where it becomes so important. If Ed is full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, well, we know he is, of, he is of honest report. Honda trusts him with a lot of money. Honda trusts him with people under him. He's a man of honest report, but he's also full of the Holy Ghost and he makes godly decisions. Not based on who he likes or who he doesn't like, but based on what's right. I'll go to him and I'll say, Ed, what, what do you think about such and such? And I can watch him. He's doing the math in his head. And I don't even know how to do math. That's why it's important to have people like Ed. And so what we need is, now isn't it wonderful that if we both have a good reputation and if we both love the Lord and we both strive to be full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, then when we make decisions, it's for the better of the ministry. But imagine if there's a conflict. I'm doing something wrong. He still has to maintain a love, and obedience to the truth that the fullness of the Holy Spirit provides. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Ed. This is where it's so important. It doesn't matter what your job is. It doesn't matter what you do. Somebody has to trust you. They put their faith in you. The Bible says, Confidence in an unfaithful man in a time of trouble is like a broken tooth or a foot out of joint. Man, don't be, a, don't be a foot out of joint and don't be a broken tooth. Be a man that someone can trust. 
and put their weight on. What a wonderful thing that is full of the Holy Ghost. He'll guide you into all truth. So then, how do we do this? Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And I know the young people, the Awana kids, have all memorized this. Aidan Kennedy's memorized the whole Bible. Um, look at Ephesians chapter 5. The Bible says in verse... Let's look at verse 15. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Now, circumspectly, that's looking around. Circumference. You know what's going on around you. You're not oblivious. You don't have your head buried in the sand. Seeing then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. How many of you would agree with that right there? Yeah. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So that's the men that God told them to look for, right? Guys that are full of the Holy Ghost. They're full of the Holy Spirit. And... What are some of the examples that are given of that? Well, you walk circumspectly, you're not a fool, you're wise. You understand that the times are evil, that you don't go along with the evil just because the times are evil, that you walk as a wise person. When you do that, that exhibits itself. Look at verse 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. All right, so the wise man who's full of the Holy Spirit speaks biblically, speaks biblically. That your wisdom is not the wisdom of men, but it's the wisdom of God. And then, singing to yourself, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So you're not only thinking right, but your heart is right. Now, how many of you would say it would probably be better for civilization if I never sang publicly? <laughs> right? And, and that's true. And that's why it says singing to yourselves. <laughs> It's you've got the Spirit of God in you, that you're happy in the Lord. That's what, this, that's what the filling of the Holy Spirit does. Look at verse 20, and then you're thankful. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, thankful people are never bitter. Isn't that an interesting thought? You can't be bitter and thankful at the same time. So the Holy Spirit allows you to be thankful. Then, verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Then it goes on to the whole concept, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. So what does the Holy Spirit do in you? The Holy Spirit makes you thankful. The Holy Spirit makes you happy. The Holy Spirit makes you understand truth. The Holy Spirit make, it makes you love your wife. The Holy Spirit makes you love good things and righteousness and holy things. How many of you think that if the 60 or 70 million Christians in America behaved that way, we'd have a different country? See, this is why we need the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We don't need more religion. We need more God. Right? Then look at Colossians 3. Colossians 3.
So how do we get this fullness of the Holy Spirit? Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. So what's going on in this text? When you're full of the Holy Spirit, it changes everything around you. So if we want to have transformative men, then they must be transformed by the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. And that transformation happens as the Word of Christ dwells in you richly. You can't know God without knowing His Word. You can't be holy without the Word of God. So what are you going to do? You'll have a good name, honest report, when you're full of the Holy Ghost. When you're full of the Holy Ghost, then you can have wisdom. That's our next characteristic. The Bible talks about men, look out among you, seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Wisdom doesn't come before the Holy Spirit. Wisdom doesn't come before any of those things. You gain wisdom as you walk in the Spirit. That's where the wisdom comes from. Um, look with me at uh, Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. I read this story. It's pretty funny. This dad took his son to the zoo, and they're outside the uh, looking at the lions. And so his dad's describing how ferocious the lions are. And the little boy says, Dad, if a lion got out and ate you, and his dad's getting ready to comfort him, saying that's not going to happen, it's okay. The son said, which bus, which bus would I take home? <laughs> that's funny. Oh, man. So you try to give wisdom to your children. But look at Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. You know, there's all kinds of knowledge, but God's knowledge begins with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. That's where wisdom comes. Look at Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16, look at verse 6. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Man, it's so important that we depart from evil. That'll happen as we have fear. And that fear of the Lord gives us wisdom. And that wisdom helps us make right choices. Look at Proverbs 14. Proverbs 14, verse 16. A wise man feareth and departeth from evil, but the fool rageth and is confident. How about that? Wisdom. If you have wisdom, you'll have a healthy fear of the evil that's around you and the evil that can come on your children. Look at Proverbs 24, 5. A wise man is strong. Yea, a man of knowledge increaseth strength. 
For by wise counsel thou shalt make war, and in multitude of counselors there is safety. Wisdom is too high for a fool. He openeth not his mouth in the gate. He that deviseth to do evil shall be called a mischievous person. The thought of foolishness is sin, and the scorner is an abomination to men. I'd rather be wise, wouldn't you? I'd rather be wise. That wisdom that God gives us. Look at Proverbs 29, verse 11. Young men, you young men, this is a verse that you really ought to take to heart. I'm serious. Proverbs 29, look at verse 11. A fool uttereth all his mind, but a wise man keepeth it till afterwards. Look, I think my my dad always said it was um, Abraham Lincoln who said this. I'm not exactly sure who it was. I've heard it attributed to several people. But... um, Oh, it's better to be thought an idiot. How's it go? It's better to keep your mouth shut and be thought an idiot than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Right? Um, we, you, you young guys, <laughs> it's really important. You young ladies, it's really important that you get this. It's amazing what a benefit silence can be to you. How many of you adults have ever wished... You hadn't said something. Yeah. What is it that keeps you from doing that? Wisdom. Wisdom. Where does wisdom come from? From the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. The Bible talks about men who are wise in their own conceits. There are, there, the Bible talks about the wisdom of God is wiser than the wisdom of the world. There are many people that are worldly wise. We don't want to be worldly wise. The Bible tells us to be simple of evil. We want to have the mind of Christ. Those are the kind of men that we need to have. You're filling your minds with the Word of God. And from that comes truth and wisdom and a good name and a good legacy and children that serve the Lord. Those are the kind of men that we need. So let's go back to Acts chapter 6. The kind of man that God tells us to look for. Verse 3, Acts chapter 6. Verse 3, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Now, let me tell you something that's really cool. This is awesome. Here at Grace Baptist Church, the, the men that are sitting among you are men of good report, of honest report, that are full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. We have those kinds of men at Grace Baptist Church. And that allows me to spend the majority of my time in the Word of God, prayer, and ministering the Word of God. I've had had preachers who ask me, how can you preach? How can you preach the meetings that you preach? How can you do that? I've got good men at home. Uh, I'm able to do what God called me to do, ministry of the Word of God, because godly men at Grace Baptist Church are carrying the load that needs to be carried. You know, it's a wonderful thing. Last week when I couldn't stand up, my back went out, couldn't stand up without agony. You know, it's wonderful. I had full confidence that Pastor Nathan would be able to communicate the Word of God to you in a way that would be helpful. 
Isn't it wonderful? If, if neither Nathan nor I could be here, there are men sitting among you who could stand up at the drop of the hat and communicate God's Word. And you would listen because they are of good report. They're of honest report. And you know that they have the Holy Ghost. You know that they're wise. Isn't that great? But how many of you men would say, you know what, Pastor? Just as you're talking today, there's a next step that I need to take. I could be more wise. I could know more of the Scriptures. I could be more ready to speak. I could serve the Lord more faithfully. I think a lot of us would say that. None of us have arrived yet, have we? Thank you, Lord, so much for your word. Lord, thank you for the godly men that you've brought to Grace Baptist Church. I'm so honored to pastor.